So our Bible reading is on page uh, 1095 and also printed on the service sheets. And we're reading Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 21. That's Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1 on page 1095. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Cleophas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Sorry. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They then called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old.
God's word together this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to stop and be still for a few minutes. We pray that you might speak to us. Give us ears and minds that would be open to what you have to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've entitled um, this evening's sermon, No Christianity Please, We're Academics. Um, And I know we're not academics, but I'm trying to be an academic for a couple of years at the moment. I'm studying at a a theological college. And this week I was reading um, about an um, admissions tutor who um, was obviously dealing with people coming uh, to look around their college. Let me tell you about a conversation that that he had had with a young woman called Sarah. Um, He retells his conversation... With her, Sarah had enjoyed school, she said, um, and had, had found school fairly easy. She was a bright girl. But from the offset, when she went up to university to read English, um, she had faced considerable opposition as a follower of Jesus. In fact, the first piece of writing that she was set was what's called an opinion piece. I, I didn't study English, so I'm not sure if that's... Um, still the case today, but she was said an opinion piece, and the required theme of her writing was traditional marriage, so discuss. I get some of those sort of discuss type essays at Ridley and find them hard. Anyway, Sarah, who would have called herself a Christian, she, um, she thought she ought to be honest and, and write with integrity in her assignment, and so she gave an, an honest opinion of how she had understood, or how she understood what the Bible says about marriage and so explained it, um, grounded in her own Christian faith. The professor who she submitted the assignment to was annoyed that Sarah claimed the support of the Bible for her views, and he scribbled in the margin, which Bible would that be? Question mark. On the very same page, Sarah's phrase, Christians who read the Bible, dot, 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 provoke the same critique. Would that be the Greek Bible, the Hebrew Bible, or the Aramaic Bible, he wrote. What could the point of this be? What was this guy's problem? Did her English professor want Sarah to imagine that the Greek text may support her view of what marriage is, um, but the Aramaic one was was different? Uh, what, What was this guy's issue? What was his beef, if you like, with her view of Christianity and what using the Bible as a reference in her writing. Anyway, her paper was rejected as a sermon. She was given an F with the words, I reject your dogmatism. Not a good start to university, I don't know. Some of us may have been to university and had tough essay critiques over the years. Some of us may be heading up there in a year or two's time. After that point, Sarah couldn't get past a C with her, with her grades from this particular professor. Um, it seemed as though no matter how hard she worked, he always marked her down. When she um, wrote in a later paper, she, she referenced a well-known Cambridge English academic, C.S. Lewis. And yet, the scribble at the bottom of the page was, why are you misquoting Lewis, inappropriate. He was a pastor. Anyway, so very few of us 
seek out persecution. Sarah didn't, and many of us, today's Western society is fairly um, oppositionally uh, averse, isn't it? We don't like opposition, we don't like discomfort, we try and take the easiest route through life. That's only my experience anyway. Um, And the way we're wired as human beings is to avoid danger, from what I'm told by the Paleontologists, you know, we're sort of wired as, uh, as people to avoid danger and threat, uh, hence the sort of freeze, run, was it please, fright or, or run away is the instinct, isn't it, of many of us. But time and time again in the Bible, the life of obedience to God is one of discomfort, as far as I can remember. So I've been following Jesus for about 25 years, and I wouldn't say it's been as comfortable as my life before choosing to follow Jesus. I'm sorry if that's a shock to any of you younger people, um, but the Bible's pretty explicit. In fact, later on in Acts, in chapter 14, we get the words from Dr. Luke, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So suffering and rejection will often be the result of faithfulness in following Jesus. But it's also, there's also blessing, often unexpected blessing through that, through the challenges of following Jesus. And that's, that's our main topic for this evening. Um, following Christ is not easy, is not comfortable, but is a blessing and is worth it. Um, Jesus himself promised of nothing, there were no promises that life would be easy. But he did call all those to remain faithful to him through opposition. And in chapter 14, we hear Peter and John um, facing considerable opposition for testifying that the risen Jesus is the only one through whom salvation is possible. And that's not a message that's popular today, in my my, um, sort of humble opinion so far. You may have heard examples of where people have said, well, yeah, maybe Jesus is one way, maybe there's, there's multiple ways up this mountain of, of faith and getting closer to God. But the message that there is only one way through Jesus is not a popular one in my experience. And Peter and John's testimony of Jesus gets me into trouble, doesn't it? Um, let, me, <clears throat> let me just um, give us a little recap. I know we're kind of mainly working through the Psalms on Sunday evening. So, in case you haven't been reading Acts very recently, let me just tell you what's going on because this very much flows on from chapter three. But, but I guess that the situation we're in is opposition going on, disciples under pressure. Will they flee, freeze, um, or will they they stand firm? Um, so, big themes. In Acts so far, we've seen Jesus teaching his followers that God's promised king is going to usher in a new kingdom. Okay, that's the big theme, if you like. And in this kingdom, God's presence, his spirit, would come up and he would actually take residence in his own people. And that's a new thing. He would be transforming their hearts. And that was, that was something that was new. Um, And so the Christian church, perhaps 
surprisingly, to those around, the Jewish people around and the Gentiles around, starts to grow, really big-time growth. And we come then to chapters 3 and 4, where we see at this early stage of the kingdom exploding a bit like a pebble. We've been up in the Lake District recently, and our boys love skimming pebbles on, on lakes. And as, as the stone hits the water, you see the ripples go out, don't you? And this is like Acts. The ripples are going out, but it's still quite small ripples. They haven't got, they haven't got very wide yet. It, we're still in Jerusalem. Um, the message about Jesus as God's appointed king is going out amongst the different tribes. People have come into the city to, to, for the big festival of Passover, and um, sorry, a Pentecost, and thousands upon thousands, we're told, are repenting and handing over the reins of control of their lives to the Lord Jesus. They're accepting this Christ, this Messiah, as king. So new communities. A new community is springing up, a community is marked by generosity and worship and celebration, and allegiances are being changed. But not everyone, as we read, is celebrating or is spotted out. And we see, as well as the church growing, we see opposition building. Chapter 3, the, the, the sort of section before this, um, where... Where, if you if you like, we're sort of zooming in a Google Street view on the temple, and Peter is just going about his daily business. He's going up to the temple, and there's a lame guy who, who's begging to be healed. Um, and we hear that Peter, through the power of Jesus, heals, makes this guy's he's, he's in his forties. His he miraculously is able to walk again, something he hasn't ever been able to do. He jumps up, he begins to walk. And the first thing he does is go into the temple. He's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. But the onlookers, we're told, verse 10, they don't respond with soft hearts of joy and praise. Oh, no. We're told, actually, they are simply bemused, literally astonished, bewildered. What's going on? But as we come to chapter 4, there's a third response. And it's a stark contrast to the joy of this jumping ex-lame person. There is confusion. So let me read verse 1 from chapter 4. Actually, from, I'm going to read from the ESV. Don't worry, you don't need to look it up on your phones. But this is what the ESV, the, um, how it says it. It's a very literal translation. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came up upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Just a little backdrop. Sadducees, I remember this. Nicky Gumbel, I remember hearing a talk on this. Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So there's a big issue here in terms of what has been spoken about and proclaimed sort of way of thinking is is this framework it kind of doesn't fit with their pattern of thinking so there is considerable opposition and they chuck them in jail and um, but surprisingly the tail doesn't go down between the legs of, of, of Peter and John does it 
we read of them being emboldened by God's Spirit. So, two points really for this evening. There will be human opposition to Jesus. If you haven't come across that yourselves yet, if you're following him, then it's coming. And secondly, God's Spirit enables a bold response. So that's, that's the good news. So, I, and, and when we get to the end, we'll, we'll have a little think about what does this mean for us here in Constable Little Shelford? Most, I know it's not comfortable for us all, and we all have trials and tribulations, but generally, South Cambridge is a fairly comfortable place to be. So, let's have a look at the, um, this sort of first point, the leader's opposition, if you like. So, this is sort of verses 1 to 4, and then 5 to 12. So, while pre- uh, Peter is still preaching to the crowd that has gathered at Solomon's porch, uh, the Jewish leaders come to him, and they question him and John. And among them were priests, respectable people, captain of the temple, so strong leaders, and the Sadducees. And the temple, um, the, these sort of important people, uh, the, these, these were the kind of senior people of, of the city. And so it's, it's quite a significant trial, if you like. And the plan was to bring them before the Sanhedrin, um, but they had to adjourn it the night before, before this trial. So they, they put them in the clink overnight. Um, 71 members of the Sanhedrin, um, including the high priest um, and, and, these, and these Sadducees. So this was the same, effectively, the corrupt court, uh, it's worth saying, that had falsely condemned Jesus not, not that long before. And verse, verse 2, we see that Luke provides two reasons that the Jewish leaders were annoyed. Firstly, the apostles were teaching the people, which from their power-holding perspective was the job reserved for those who should be qualified, you know, who, should have, um, who should have been to university, who should have had the, the, the letters after their name or before their name. And here were these sort of fairly common people teaching and being heard and causing change within their, within their city, if you like. And the second thing that they were specifically proclaiming is that Jesus was causing, or had raised, had, had been risen, and it was, it, so it, it was the resurrection, if you like, this, the fact that Jesus hadn't remained dead, which was really getting their goat. It wasn't the healing of the, uh, of the self, the actual healing of this, this lame guy but it was the explanation that disturbed the Sanhedrin. Why, why it had happened. And just like at Jesus' trial, um, and to some extent, Sarah's English professor, they weren't concerned with um, ascertaining the facts. Okay? They didn't really want to deal with the details of Jesus' claim to have come as God's promised king, a king that had laid down his life so that those who would come to him may have eternal life, full life. They weren't really interested in having a king who had come to rescue a broken world. They weren't interested in having a relationship restored. In fact, they didn't want anything to do with any king. They were very comfortable, thank you. And irrespective of how silly their little man-made paper crowns looked, compared to Jesus' rightful, gleaming, golden crown, 
they were determined to keep their miniature crowns firmly on their heads. There was no way they were going to give up their status as learned leaders, priestly executives, and their circle's influence was not to be messed with. And this is precisely what Jesus warns the apostles would happen. He warns them that persecution would come. Listen to a little chunk out of Matthew 10, off the lips of Jesus. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Sorry, sorry, to, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. For what you're to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And that's exactly what we see in the apostles' response next, isn't it? A bold, this is our second point, a bold response, which is spirit-fueled. So this is sort of verses 8 to 12. So on trial, now, Peter and John were more concerned, weren't they, to proclaim the gospel rather than declare their own innocence. They, they were innocent. They could have built quite a strong case, presumably. In verse 8, we read that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and then answers the Sanhedrin. This was not a prepared speech that Peter makes. How could it have been? He's going about his normal business the day before, wasn't he? On his way up to the temple, when he comes across this guy, whose legs don't work. Soon afterwards, he's arrested and chucked on a slammer. And if local UK prisons are anything to go by, been to Little Hare a few times down the road, I don't doubt these these two men were handed a pencil and paper to to write a sermon for the next day on as they went through the doors. No doubt Peter may well have been in the habit of reading and praying, but that doesn't explain his boldness here, does it? Rather, Luke specifically tells us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins like this. Let me read from verse 9. Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. This is the key verse, key message. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So two points to note. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not something we, here in Little Shelford, should be ashamed of. And secondly, there will always be those who mock followers of Christ, just as there were those who mocked Jesus to his face. Christians will never be without opposition in this world. That's what's so glorious about heaven, or one of the things. As fervently as Christians live, there will be opposition. And that is, that is the reality of living for Christ. But it's worth it. That's the message. So finally, what's the outcome? What do we, what do we see? 
is a result. How would the Sanhedrin respond to Peter's answer? And actually, the outcome is, is a weak human warning, isn't it, from the leaders on one side, and growth of the church on the other, as the message of King Jesus boldly goes on. This section begins with the members of the Sanhedrin in private council. They're kind of trying to scheme and work out how on earth do we do, deal with these two people. They seem, they're not learned, but they're speaking boldly. People are repenting and, and lives are changing. What's going on? How can we stop this? Did you notice these, that the very things that uh, disturb the Sanhedrin, i.e. the teaching, the, the, the bold teaching, and the resurrection are what Peter proclaims to their faces. He knew these members of the Sanhedrin. He knew exactly what they believed or didn't believe. And therefore he knew his statement could permanently land him in jail, or perhaps worse. We're told the Sanhedrin were amazed that these men were bold, yet had not received any formal training. And they recognized that their Teaching, therefore, was influenced by something or someone else outside their own um, educational background. And it's telling that, that they merely, therefore, just give them a warning. And before the, apostle, the apostles even leave their custody of, of the Sanhedrin, Peter and John, they're indicating that they are going to continue, irrespective of what the consequence is of their commitment to God implying that they won't pay any attention to this warning. How bold is that? It's one thing kind of saying, um, or just making a little pact with yourself quietly on the side or to a few Christian friends at university or school saying, I know know we got teased about that, or we got shunned at work about this. But but no, this is, guys, this is important stuff. I'm going to continue to speak about Jesus. He has risen, and, and his life brings true life. It's worth listening to. So thinking of this here in Little Shelford for a minute, our allegiances are plainly revealed when we are willing to speak up for Christ at a time and in a place where it's not appreciated. That's where our real allegiance is. It's easy to say, I follow Jesus and say the creed here. It's good to say it. I'm not saying don't say it. But it's much harder to say, I'm a Christian. or at the coffee machine at work it won't be appreciated unlikely maybe you'll find one or two Christians and you can buddy up with them and, 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 and make a, a difference as a bit of a group but it will probably be lonely it may even be forbidden some of us have come from situations where you're not allowed to speak about Jesus openly it's not just not appreciated you will get in trouble Maybe worse. And over the years since I've been a follower of Jesus, I've, I've lost friends over being a Christian. But I haven't faced anything, anything like the persecution we're reading here. And yet, if I'm honest, that out of my preference for comfort, I still regularly fail to proclaim Christ. At the school gate, it feels hostile sometimes. On the boundary rope, my kids are playing cricket. 
easier just to talk about the weather, about the latest, you know, how well, how wonderful the children's batting is, whatever, than say, yeah, this is this is a really terrific bunch of talks up on holiday at Keswick last week. People's lives can be set free and transformed. So, the important thing to remember is that, though, that it's the same Holy Spirit, okay, who gave boldness to those guys and who gives boldness to us today, okay. There's no difference. Same Spirit, same God, and so we too, if we keep in step with Him, will be able to proclaim Christ, albeit weekly, often, but we can still. Do it with that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But perhaps there's some of us here this evening who are saying, well, I'm not sure if I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. This all sounds a bit kind of uh, matey or a bit close. I, you know, I kind of know about Jesus, but he's certainly not a personal friend. He's not my personal saviour. I haven't really thought about these things. Well, then, can, can I encourage you to consider the wonderful freedom of not having to live as if everything depends on you. And in my experience, living in a right relationship with Jesus really is the pearl of great value. It's worth putting everything else into second place for. Before I finish, I want to conclude with three sentences penned by a prolific hymn writer, Isaac Watts. Many of us would all know this hymn. Um, Isaac Watts shared the same Christian faith as his father, whom, as an infant, he would have seen through the bars of a jail in Southampton, probably for the first time, in prison because of his Christian faith. It happens here. Well, it has done. And it may happen again. And my prayer this evening and on into the days ahead for us as a church is that in God's timing, he would be able to make these words our words. These are the three phrases. My richest gain, I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Two, did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Finally, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all. So that's, that's our challenge tonight. Are we going to keep our little paper crowns on our heads or are we going to hand them over to the boss? Let me pray. <clears throat> Dear King Jesus, thank you for your powerful and holy spirit that you have so generously given to those who put their trust in you. Help us, we pray, to be willing to speak and stand firm for you when times of opposition come. For you have shown us that there is salvation in no one else but you. With joy and in your powerful name we pray.